0: Attacked by an angry shark Stuck up a mountain in the dark Pushed up the top of a big landmark Hit by lightning in your local park Caught in a downpour of acid rain Struck by a, or a train A proton beam passing through your brain Attacked by that angry shark again Hear how they survive
1: Trampled by a herd of buffalo, chased with an axe by a new friend Joe, buried alive in a pile of snow, the worst case
0: scenario. Hello.
1: Hello. <laughs> oh, that
0: was fast. That was <laughs> as clean as it gets.
1: <laughs> okay, this is, uh, and you said WCS, that's our handle. This is Worst Case Scenario, it's a podcast where we tell each other Crazy survival stories we found on the internet about people who uh, survived just the most traumatic or insane situations and lived to tell the tale.
0: Yes, and every week we build a survival toolkit um, based on things that the people in the stories have used in order to survive um, to try and help us survive the worst case scenario.
1: In case we ever, in case we ever find ourselves there, yeah, uh, you know, we know what to do. Should we? it's, it's, yeah. it's meant to make us feel less anxious. It's, it's there to tell us that even if it gets real bad it is possible survival's possible always even when you think it's all over yes you can follow the podcast wherever you get your podcasts uh, we're also on instagram and tiktok at wcspod and we also want stories from you of times you found yourself in the worst case scenario and survived to tell the tale and you can send them to us help at wcspod.com that's an email address heard of it uh, <laughs> I think that's all the admin. I think so. Right, tell me your amazing story. (laughs) Oh my God. Okay, so my
0: friends lived through an actual worst case scenario this week. I can't wait. Give it to me. So my friends are, as you love to point out, I and my friends are older than you. Um, okay. And they are... I thought you were just going to say close. <laughs> I was oh, like, sure, that too. Wow, <laughs> okay, Julia. Wow, really rub it in. I mean, yeah, we've been we've been besties since school. Um, we get it. You've got a lot of friends. <laughs> Sorry. Um, and two of my friends, uh, Rachel and Casper, They I've known them since school. They met in school. They're now married, having their first child. Jesus. This is the story of the birth of their first child.
1: And uh, didn't that happen this week? It happened this week. <gasps>
0: It's so exciting. So I've written it down because I don't want to forget any details. So Rachel, for a few days before, was having very light contractions. Obviously, she's the first one of us to have a kid. So we have no prior experience. We don't know anything. It's just like, oh, you're pregnant. Good luck. Uh Uh, Who knows? So for a few days, she's having very light contractions. But she's like, this probably isn't enough. Also, think something you should know. Casper and Rachel are the most laid back people you will ever meet. So it really has to be very precarious for them to like... Go to the doctors or freak out. Exactly. So she's having light contractions. She's very blase about it. Um, And then they start picking up. So they decide to head off to the birthing center. Oh, they're also in Switzerland. That's where they live. So everything is different. They are giving birth in this birthing center that has no pain relief.
1: Absolutely not. Right? Right. No. What did you talk about? I was like I never understand when people are like, I r I I wanna have but I wanna give birth without taking any money. I'm like are you I kidding? Give either. me all of the drugs immediately. Exactly. I'm not willing to do it without the drugs.
0: Yes, agreed. But I don't think she had a choice. I think it was like this is just how they do it in Switzerland. Oh, well
1: then I would move. <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> so they start picking up. they they jump in the car to go to the birthing centre. Uh-huh. They get down they also live on a hill. So, Casper's driving down the hill. As he's going down the hill, Rachel's like, Oh, it's happening now. Shut it's happening up. now. So, she gets into the back of the car. Casper's still driving. She takes her trousers off. <gasps> and then the baby is coming. No. Casper turns around to see a baby's head with a face. And he said he was so. <laughs> I'm glad it had a face. He was so. <laughs> that would be more disturbing <laughs> if you told me that he saw a baby with without no a face. face. <laughs> But it was it was the sight of the face that shocked him that is- so
1: much. He crashed the car into a wall. Wow! Yeah. So you're saying they've had an ugly baby? That's what <laughs> you're telling me. That baby oh ain't God. gonna be no supermodel. She
0: is the cutest baby I've ever seen. Uh, so the windscreen smashes. The fucking hell! Airbags burst. The car is smoking. <gasps> like it's a full blown oh car God. crash. And then Rachel's just in the back giving birth and then she delivers the baby into Casper's hands. So he's just now like holding his baby and then they call, obviously they call the birthing centre. They come and get raching the baby, but Casper has to stay
1: back with the car. I love that (laughs) his baby gave him such a fright. Yeah. It's like he, like, forgot he was having a baby. (laughs) And he's like, oh, fuck, you're pregnant? What? (laughs) Oh, my God, there she is.
0: And then, so, apparently the people at the birthing centre, like, arrived, and he's there covered in blood. (laughs) (gasps) Oh, my God, like, he got hurt. (laughs) No, he didn't get hurt. He's fine. Everybody's fine. But he delivered the baby, and obviously there's a lot of blood. And so he looks like a full horror show. (gasps) Um... And the car is written off. He's devastated. It was a Passat. He loved it. It's a shame. Um, okay. So that's the story. That's the
1: best birth story, isn't it? Ever. She. I don't know how they're going they, to talk. They can't have any more kids because they really. That's can. not fair. And if they do, they're going to have to really orchestrate. Yeah, they're going to have to like have the next one in a plane crash. Yeah. Also, my a boat. F- maybe like while a boat sinks, they're gonna they're gonna have to keep progressing the vehicle. I, I think, think
0: so. Yeah. Um, do more and more dangerous crashes. It's going to be yeah. like um, Mission Impossible. Yeah. Like jumping of They should do a one as they
1: jump out. Yeah. A
0: helicopter. Yeah.
1: Like a skydiving like, bird. Yeah. And let the gravity take the baby out. Yeah. And then the, the baby has like its own parachute. And then you meet it at the one.
0: That would be cute.
1: That would be cute. Um, wow. Isn't that wild? That's wild. So all your friends now like, oh, I guess that's what having a baby's like.
0: Uh, yeah. It's put us all off, obviously. I mean, I really? I was never keen, but like, the yeah, well... Yes.
1: <laughs> I don't know. We did not put you off. I no? do it just
0: for the story. It's a great story. My friend did say this is great for the baby because whenever she's in like those situations where you have to say, Tell us your name oh and God. something interesting about you. Yeah. She's got one. Day or like, one.
1: Two choose and alive. Exactly.
0: It, yeah. yeah. I made my dad crash my car crash his car as I was being born.
1: I this week. Have given myself a real, a real difficult time um, as someone who struggles with a lot of words and pronunciations. Love this. This is going to be difficult for me. It's going to be painful. It's going to be a struggle. Um, it's, it's, it's set in Russia. Yes. and there's a lot of yes. names. There is a lot. Are we getting accents this time? Uh, absolutely. <laughs> Um, oh, I wish actually, I didn't have time.
0: What, to practice your Russian accent?
1: I didn't, know. I spent all the time trying to work out how to say all the words, written out how to say everything oh, phonetically.
0: Cheat, you're cheating now.
1: Uh. I'm putting effort in, Julia. <laughs> um, uh, if you are someone who uh, struggles with, uh, kind of slightly gruesome stuff though, uh, this is quite a, quite a tummy turner. I will warn if you if you struggled with Danelle sh- Danelle's shattered pe- uh, <laughs> penis. <laughs> I missed that. if though. you struggled with Danelle Balanji's shattered pelvis. Um, this one's a step further. Okay, okay. Anyway. Um, I,
0: I, yeah, as I'll ever be.
1: So this is a story. I've looked it up, but I'm gonna forget it all of Leonid Ivanovich Rogosov. I hope okay we're in the times of the soviet union right the soviet union engaged in expeditions to antarctica in 1955 to uh oh why did i do that what have you done i don't know what that word's gonna be now so i replaced some of the words with just the phonetic like spell mm. outs, but now i forgot what the <laughs> word originally was i'm gonna say and it The Soviet Union was engaging in expeditions to Antarctica from 1955 until it was all over. Right, Soviet (laughs) Union. Until it was all over. (laughs) Until it was all over. Uh, After this, the Soviet Antarctic stations were taken over by Russia. The first Soviet contact with Antarctica was in January 1947, when they began whaling in (laughs) Antarctic waters. That's when whaling really became a thing. But we're going to be talking about the sixth expedition.
0: When you say whaling, in my head they're just it's just a group of men stood on a ship
1: going <laughs> <laughs> No, they're killing whales. Um, like the absolute douchebags they are. Okay. But okay, we're talking about the Sixth Expedition. That was the first. The first they really start a whaling yep. trend, the okay. Sith. They're on a ship called Ob. Uh it sailed from Leningrad on the fifth of November nineteen sixty. After 36 days at sea, she decanted. She? Is a boat ever a he?
0: No, always a woman, I think.
1: Um, She decanted part of the expedition onto the ice shelf of the Princess Astrid Coast, named after Queen Victoria's granddaughter, who married the King of Norway. Their task was to build a new Antarctic polar base inland at Schumacher Oasis and spend the winter there. Uh, the remoteness and ferociously cold climate means that this area is cut off from the rest of the world for months at a time and for much of the year it can't be reached by either air or sea after 9 weeks on the 18th of february 1961 the new base called are you ready are you ready <laughs> nova laza no novo laza revskaya nova laza revskaya Sounds Russian. Sounds Russian to opened. me. Was Novo opened. Novo, Novo, Novo Laza Revskaya. Novo Laza. How are you getting less confident the more you do it? <laughs> it's bit in the middle. It's the Laza. Novo Laza Revskaya was opened. Okay, that's what the base was called, right? Yeah. They finished just in time with the polar winter already descending, bringing months of darkness, snowstorms and extreme frosts. The sea had frozen over, the ship had sailed and would not be back for a year. Contact with the outside world was no longer possible. Through the winter, the 12 residents of Novo-Lazarevskaya... That was great. That was really good. That That was was really really good. good. (laughs) ...would have only themselves to rely on. I should say, by the way, before I keep going, um, a lot of this week's story is from one article. So I feel like I need to like shout it out because it's basically all from them um and it was the case report of what's going to happen by vladislav rogosov consultant anethicist, and neil bermel professor of russian and slavic studies and they wrote a case report and it's pretty much all come from that thanks guys so the 12 residents would only have themselves to rely on and we're going to be talking about mainly one of uh one of the expedition's members 26 slash 27 ages differed in different things i read your old surgeon leonid ivanovich rogosov absolutely murdering this um and he was the station's medic okay he had interrupted a promising scholarly career and left on the expedition shortly before he was due to defend his dissertation on new methods of operating on cancer of the esophagus and should anyone become ill It was his and only his job to diagnose what is wrong and provide the appropriate treatment. Uh, They must be completely self-sufficient.
0: So if he gets ill, they're fucked. The rest of them are fucked.
1: Good. Okay. Yes, exactly.
0: This is also my nightmare, by the way. Being trapped with 12 people who you don't know.
1: Yeah, and it's not even being filmed for reality (sighs) TV, so you don't even get to be an influencer afterwards. This is
0: essentially Big Brother with none of the perks.
1: And you're also in yeah, the Antarctic. It's, you can't go outside, and there's no and there's no producer to come and intervene. You're on your own already. I'm freaking out about this story. You can't, you can't walk out that Big Brother no. fire exit. And you can't, can't say bar. I'm a celebrity.
0: Get me out no. of here. There's nothing. There's no, there's no hotel nearby for you to. No,
1: it's like Love Island. You oh, can't gosh. leave. Okay, so they arrived in November. They finished the camp in February, and it is now April. Right.
0: That's t- that's also too long. That's also way, way, way too long.
1: Oh, they still have, they still have like over a year left. They're there for like two years. I can't. I can't. Um, so they've done November, February, it's now April. More specifically, it's the 29th of April, 1961, uh, which was a Saturday, I found out. Elvis Presley's top of the charts. Kids are watching Tom and Jen- Jerry. Adults are watching The Twilight Zone. That's the overall vibe. Rogasov, however as you predicted, Julia, has fallen ill. No. (laughs) Yeah. He not feeling so good on this uh, April Saturday. So we're only what, like, like six months in, five months in? Yeah, five months in. Shit. He's noticed symptoms of weakness, discomfort and unease and nausea. And within just a few hours, so it's, very, it's come on very quickly, within just a few hours, his temperature has risen alarmingly to 37.5 degrees C. Okay. He then gets sharp pains in his side and upper part of his abdomen, which shifts to the right lower quadrant. And obviously, as a fully qualified doctor, surgeon, uh, these symptoms are very familiar to him. And he had very little difficulty diagnosing the cause. He wrote in his diary, It seems that I have appendicitis. No. Yep. I am keeping quiet about it, even smiling. Why frighten my friends? Who could be of help? What is he going to do? So appendicitis, so, so,
0: what, that, that's, that, that kills you. That can kill you. Your appendix burst. That's, that's game over. What's he going to do? Yeah, he's in
1: a bad He's going to have to... Oh, I don't like where this is going. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So uh, just in case you don't know, appendicitis is a painful swelling of the appendix, a small, thin pouch about 5 to 10 centimetres long connected to the large intestine where poo forms. Mm. Bit of fun. Um, the usual treatment involves surgical removal, as you've said, of the affected organ. Um, it is a relatively straightforward procedure when performed by a trained surgeon. So like no was, you know, Um, but his ability to easily diagnose the condition was a pretty cruel realization because like you said, he knows that if he's going to survive, he has to undergo surgery. But as the only medic and surgeon on the base, he was the only person who could perform it. The closest Russian speaking surgeon was a thousand miles away at the second base, only reachable via air, and a blizzard which had been raging for days made it impossible for any aircraft to take off or land. So, next day, on the 30th of April, he tries all available conservative treatments like antibiotics, local cooling, um, but his general condition is getting worse. His body temperature has risen, um, his vomiting has become more frequent. He wrote in his diary, I did not sleep at all last night. It hurts like the devil. A snowstorm whipping through my soul, wailing. Uh, the screaming.
0: <laughs> the original wailing.
1: Like a hundred jackals. Um, still no obvious symptoms that perforation is imminent, but an oppressive feeling of foreboding hangs over me. This is it. I have to think through the only possible way out to operate on myself no it's almost impossible but i can't just fold my arms and give up
0: i like the idea as well that he's also not telling his like other people there he's like walking yeah. around the canteen like all right
1: get good yeah fine Have oh i don't i don't know when i wrote this but um there's a there's a really good quote coming later about that okay He knew that if left untreated, his diseased appendix would quickly rupture and then burst, which would be as painful as it sounds, uh, but also he would die without immediate surgery. Soon the vomiting was uncontrollable and it was clear his condition was getting worse. So 36 hours after realising something was wrong, he writes again later that day in his diary. 1830. I've never felt so awful in my entire life. The building is shaking like a small toy in a storm. The guys have found out. They keep coming by to calm me down, and I'm upset with myself. I've spoiled everyone's holiday. (laughs) Tomorrow is May Day, and now everyone's running around preparing the autoclave. Uh, The autoclave I've Googled it, don't worry. It's a steam sterilizing machine that uses steam under pressure to kill harmful bacteria, viruses, fungi, and spores on items that are placed inside of it. Um, We have to sterilize the bedding because we're going to operate. Um, And then again at 8.30, he says, 20.30, I'm getting worse. I've told the guys, now they'll start taking everything we don't need out of the room. They moved everything out of Rogasov's room, leaving only his bed, two tables, and a table lamp. The aerologists, who are people who study the atmosphere, um, here we go, uh, Fedor Kabut, I'm going to say. Kabot, no, Kabot, Kabot, Kabot. <laughs> <laughs> you don't even need to know their names. Why am I doing this? Um, Fedor Kabot, let's say, and Robert Fizhove, Uh, flood the room with ultraviolet lighting and sterilize the bed linen and instruments, as well as Rogosov, the meteorologist Alexander Artemev, the mechanic uh, Zinovi Teplinsky, and the station director Vladislav Gorbovich are selected to undergo a sterilized wash. So, You kind of got lost in the names there. But two guys flood the room with ultraviolet lighting to sterilize it. There's a meteorologist, a mechanic, and a station director. (laughs) It's like a murder mystery.
0: (laughs) All people you want in the operating room.
1: Yeah. So they're the ones that are actually going to be involved. Uh, Rogosov explained how the operation would proceed. He taught Artemev how to use the retractors, which would hold back the skin. And then he assigned them all tasks. So Artemev would hand him instruments... Toplinski would hold the mirror um, and adjust the lighting with the table lamp so he could see where he was cutting, so he'd be looking in a mirror. Okay. And then Gerbovich was there in reserve in case nausea overcame either of the assistants and they like collapsed or couldn't be there. In the event that Rogosov lost consciousness, he instructed his team how to inject him with drugs using the syringes he had prepared and how to provide artificial ventilation to revive him. When the preparations were complete, Rogosov scrubbed and positioned himself. He chose a semi reclining position with his right hip slightly elevated and the lower half of the body elevated at an angle of 30 degrees. Then he disinfected and dressed the operating area, um, and he anticipated needing to use his sense of touch to guide him, oh. so he decided to work without gloves. Oh my God. The operation began at 2 a.m. local time. Rogosov first infiltrated the layers of abdomen wall with 20 milliliters of 0.5% procaine, a local anesthetic, using several injections. Um, he couldn't use anything stronger because, obviously, usually you'd get. Uh,
0: but he's got instructed on what to do. On what to do?
1: Well, oh no, he's doing it. They're not doing anything. They're passing him instruments. They're holding the mirror, but he is the only one doing the surgery. So he couldn't use anything stronger because he needed to be alert. Um, So he can only use local anesthetic. Um, After 15 minutes, he made a 10 to 12 centimeter and five inch deep incision on himself. Uh, The visibility in the depth of the wound was not ideal. Sometimes he had to raise his head to obtain a better view. Or use the mirror. Uh, but for the most part, he worked by feel. Um, he then exposed the appendix and could see it in the mirror. Uh, the ex- extraordinary pain uh, was accompanied by waves of nausea, vertigo, and a growing sense of weakness, which made it hard for him to keep a tight grip on oh the scalpel. Um, after 30 to 40 minutes, He was having to start taking frequent short breaks, knowing that he had to finish. Um, And when he finally exposed the appendix, he could see that it had already begun to rupture and that there was like an ugly hole at the end of it. So um, which was large enough for him to stick his thumb through, meaning that the operation was like not a moment overdue. So finally, he removed the severely affected appendix. He applies antibiotics directly into the peritoneal. I hope I said that right. There's so many words in this. Cavity and closed the wound. Uh, The operation itself lasted an hour and 45 minutes. Uh, Partway through, Gerbovich, the standby, uh, called in, oh, I didn't look up this one. This snuck through the net. Yuri Vershagin. He called him in to take photographs of the operation. uh, And Gerbovich wrote in his diary that night when Rogosov, made the incision and was manipulating his own innards as he removed the appendix, his intestine gurgled, which was highly unpleasant for us. <laughs> oh. It made one want to turn away, flee, not look, but I kept my head and stayed. Artemev and Toplinsky also held their places, although it later turned out they had both gone quite dizzy and were close to fainting. God. Rogosov himself was calm and focused on his work, but sweat was running down his face, and he frequently asked Duplinsky to wipe his forehead. The operation ended at 4 am local time. By the end, Rogosov was very pale and obviously tired, but he finished everything off. So, after the operation, uh, he shows his assistants how to wash and put away the instruments and other materials. Uh, he'd done everything he could do, exhausted and in great pain was carried out of the improvised operating room he took sleeping tablets and soon passed out leaving the others to just wait and see how it had gone the next day his temperature was 38.1 degrees so still very high um he described his condition as moderately poor just say poor (laughs) there's no shame in that don't need to be humble don't don't be humble about it it's bad it's real bad it's a bad situation moderately poor i now feel bad for like any time a doctor has asked me like on a scale of 1 to 10, how much does it hurt? Because I'm not being moderate about it. <laughs> he's like just describing British weather. Yeah. It's moderately poor. <laughs> also, I
0: love how they were like, you know what? We wanted to leave the room, but we thought, you know, probably should stay. It's like, yeah, that's the least you could do. The least, you- he's operating yeah. on himself. The least you can do is wipe the, sp- the sweat from his brow.
1: But like, you do have to not pass out. You're watching a man manipulate his own innards, as they said and they're like you can't faint you can't even look away you-. and and they're and like also this guy is probably in like this weird kind of um adrenaline focus they're not mm. they're just listening to his intestine yeah, gurgle
0: true I, I i can do it i can do it
1: no um he didn't get better at first um But that's very normal after a long operation, Um, even one performed under the ideal conditions. But he continued taking antibiotics. And after four days, he finally started to recover. His excretory function came back to normal. Yay. Life's greatest release. And signs of localized peritonitis disappeared. After five days, his temperature was normal. After a week, he removed the stitches, saw the wound was clean and healing well. And within two weeks, he was able to return to his normal duties and to his diary. So let's hear it from his point of view. Two weeks! So he writes, on the 8th of May, 1961, I didn't permit myself to think about anything other than the task at hand. It was necessary to steel myself, steel myself firmly and grit my teeth. In the event that I lost consciousness, I'd given Artemov a syringe and shown him how to give me an injection. I chose a half-sitting position. I explained to Toplinski how to hold the mirror. I'm going to say, in the diary, he does say their first names, but just be thankful I can manage their second. My poor assistants, he says, exclamation mark. At the last minute, I looked over at them. They stood there in their surgical whites, whiter than white themselves. I was scared too, but when I picked up the needle with the Novocaine and gave myself the first injection... Somehow I automatically switched into operating mode. And from that point on, I didn't notice anything else. I worked without gloves. It was hard to see. The mirror helps, but it also hinders. After all, it's showing things backwards. I work mainly by touch. The bleeding is quite heavy, but I take my time. I try to work, surely. Opening the peritoneum, I injured the blind gut, which is the beginning of the large intestine, um, and had to sew it up. Suddenly, it flashed through my mind. There are more injuries here and I didn't notice them. I grow weaker and weaker. My head starts to spin. Every four to five minutes, I rest for 20 to 25 seconds. Finally, here it is, the cursed appendage. He uses a lot of exclamation marks.
0: Though,
1: he? <laughs> he's he's, he's given drama. With horror, I notice the dark stain at its base. That means just a day longer and it would have burst. And at the worst moment of removing the appendix, I flagged. My heart seized up and noticeably slowed. My hands felt like rubber. Well, I thought it was going to end badly. And all that was left was removing the appendix. And then I realized that basically I was already saved. So that's from That's from his diary. After a month, he was able to help with much of the heavy work that is routine on a polar research that's, station. That's
0: mental. Uh, Surely you just like sit this one out. You know what, for the rest of the trip, you take it easy.
1: Hey, there's there's only 12 of them. There's stuff to do. And he was, he was fine. Uh, it took a while for the news of his pioneering self-surgery to travel back to Russia. But when it was reported, newspapers made him a hero. And even today, which I have looked up, 62 years four months and one day later his story still continues to inspire young medical students in the case report I read it said Leonid Rogosov's self-operation undertaken without any other medical professional around was a testament to determination and the will to survive uh the team left Antarctica more than a year later And on the 29th of May 1962, their ship docked back at Leningrad Harbour. The next day, Rogosov returned to his work at the clinic. Shortly thereafter, he successfully defended his dissertation, uh, the one about the oesophagus. He worked and taught in the Department of General Surgery in the first Leningrad Medical Institute. um, And he never returned to the Antarctic. And he died in St. Petersburg, as Leningrad had then become, on 21st of September 2000.
0: Wow. Like, so he, he like lived a full life.
1: Full, no repercussions life. of this. Um,
0: yeah.
1: And in his latest years, he rejected all glorification of his deed. Um, when thoughts like this were put to him, he answered with a smile and the words, a job like any other, a life like any That's other.
0: That's mental. That's absolutely mentor. And
1: that is the story of the self-surgery by surgeon Leonid Ivanovich Rogos. Wow.
0: Well done on the names. That was a very oh valiant God. effort there.
1: It was names and medical terminology. Yeah. Whoa, 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 the double. Whoa, whoa, whoa. I feel my jaw is mm. seized. Crazy. I can't believe these
0: people who like don't who shun the opportunity to really revel in the fame of it.
1: Yeah, if I'd done that I'd be like, yeah, that was pretty cool actually. That yeah. was that was really cool of me. But I think they think it makes them cool or not. I mean, it definitely does. Like the people who like pretend they don't care, the people who pretend they don't Yeah, don't they're like, yeah, I, yeah, I did that, and I don't. Yeah,
0: care. it is much oh. more humble. That's like the big power mm, move, isn't it? Yeah, for sure. I'm just not that. I'm. I would be.
1: Play hard together. I'd be
0: like, yeah. Oh, sorry. Do you want me to to come and tell you the story about how I perform surgery on myself?
1: Well, that's why we're stand-up comedians, Julia. Here we go attention, attention, give me attention. <laughs>
0: <laughs> There'd be an Edinburgh show out of that for sure.
1: What are you putting in survival toolkit, though?
0: survival okay
1: survival toolkit
0: a mirror I guess you couldn't have done it without the mirror Ooh,
1: that's a good suggestion um,
0: we can't but put I, uh, his like extensive surgical knowledge
1: I mean a scalpel
0: <laughs> a scalpel yeah localized anesthetic that would just be quite nice I think for the for the toolkit in general
1: yeah it probably helped
0: but I won. Yeah, I wonder if he could have done it without the mirror. I know he said that it was like it was kind of a hindrance because it was and he did it mostly by touch.
1: Yeah, but he did need it. That's how he could see the appendix as he looked in the mirror. Okay. Should we go mirror? I'm going to Yeah, let's go mirror. Um mirror. And like that, that's just handy to have in your bag anyway. Do you know what I mean? Exactly. <laughs>
0: Listener stories.
1: Give me the good okay. stuff. Dear. Fill me up. <laughs> oh, wow,
0: you have perked up. Okay. <laughs> Dear Abby, Julia, Loudrup, and Neil. Um, love the podcast and really enjoying your stories as well as the listener stories. I am a total homebird and don't have any tales of outdoorsy mishaps to share with you, but I do have the tale of a near miss I had many years ago involving the improper use of a glass oven dish. Maybe it could serve as a warning in case anyone else is stupid enough to do the same thing I did. Now, I have done something similar to this, so I take issue with your use of the word stupid there, but okay i'm fine with it <laughs> in a long narrow galley kitchen an early 20s me was lovingly preparing a pasta bake for tea for myself and my then fiance mm. now usually <laughs>
1: <another then. laughs>
0: hopefully that means now husband but we don't know in these tales not,
1: not how our listeners usually usually,
0: go. <laughs> <laughs> usually does go the other way um, I'm sure you're familiar with the kind jar of sauce goes into the bowl, stir in dried pasta, stick in the oven for around an hour and ovs cover with cheese. The standard. Lovely.
1: Oh God, I'm hungry. <laughs>
0: I was getting a dab hand at making these by this point, but it always frustrated me how long it took the sauce to come up to the boil once it had gone into the oven. And then in brackets, first world problem. This day I had an idea. I was already preheating the oven, so why not preheat the glass dish at the same time? Genius, no? Oven on max, not messing around. Dish in the oven. Mm -hmm. And 15 minutes later, I took out a scorching hot dish and placed it on the worktop. Mm -hmm. I smugly poured the jar of cold...
1: That's not a wooden worktop. Yeah.
0: Um... I smugly poured the jar of cold sauce into the hot dish, thinking how quickly this bad boy was now going to cook. And then I heard the distinct and concerning sound of glass cracking. Not just a crack, but a crack, crack, crack sound. Kind of like when someone is about to fall through the ice in a Tom and Jerry style cartoon.
1: Nice reference.
0: what happened next that was
1: in my story tom and jerry oh, uh,
0: yeah what happened next plays out in my head like a scene from Die Hard in slow motion as i dropped to the floor and rolled out of the narrow kitchen in one smooth movement and ran over to the other side of the next room just in time to hear the explosion that took place behind me i'm still not sure how i managed to get out of there so quickly i am not what you would call an athletic type in shock, I slowly returned to the kitchen to take stock of what had just happened. Not only was there now orange pasta sauce all over the ceiling, units, cupboards and floor, but hundreds and hundreds of shards of what used to be a glass dish embedded in all of the hard surfaces. Due oh to force uh, due to the force of the explosion, I shuddered to think about what it would have done to my flesh if I had <laughs> stayed in the kitchen. So I am unscathed, but lesson learned. Physics, apparently.
1: I don't know how she thought just putting it in a hot dish would cook it anyway. That's not how you cook stuff.
0: Cold liquid. You
1: don't just heat the hob up, then add the sauce and go, ping, done. Like, it has to be in the pan cooking for a bit. You don't just put it in a... Because then, at that point, you know, why cook anything? Why not just microwave the bowl or the plate, put cold food on it, and that'll cook I... it. Just a hot I plate. I respect
0: the out of the box thinking. I do. It this is how just
1: doesn't it makes no sense. What? Next time, next time you want fish and chips, what you just you're just going to have raw potato and raw fish, put it on a hot plate bing, battered. Is that, that how you think it this works? This is how
0: we innovate, okay? You have to think outside the box. you have to be prepared to have your flesh ripped apart by shards of glass. This is
1: what Darwin was talking about, okay? <laughs> this would this would have been a Darwin death.
0: Yeah, for sure so that's my tale also on the topic of mia's bruise from the listener stories episode i definitely see a turtle poor turtle a, tur- a
1: lot of people were saying Turtle mm. was a popular choice i kind of saw a hippo the second time did you someone said something very dark but i haven't got my phone on me so i can't look i think they were messing with us
0: we did invite that to be fair <laughs> we, <did. laughs> we, we almost instructed people to give us their darkest <laughs> um if you haven't check out uh, wcspod.com no fuck off wcspod
1: <laughs> wow. okay,
0: wcs pod to see me as bruise and tell us what you can see in her bruise that is from kath in cardiff Thank you so much, Kath.
1: Thanks, Kath.
0: I remember... So, firstly, I have done this. I put a... I was making, like, a casserole kind of thing in a dish that I didn't realise had a glass top. And without thinking, I just put the top on the dish, put it in, and then it was, it, the glass shattered, and then yeah. the casserole was ruined. Um, that's, that's but also, funny. I remember... When I was in primary school, my best friend's mum, it was really uh, it was really icy and her windscreen was all iced over and we were in a rush somewhere. I don't know where we were going. So she went and got boiling water and poured boiling water on oh, her.
1: Yeah. Oh, I'd do um, that.
0: You would do that.
1: And did that not work?
0: No, it cracked her windscreen.
1: Whoa. You can't go I, from like very, very cold that.
0: to very, very hot. Or very, very hot to very, very cold with glass.
1: I swear I've poured boiling water on my skin. <laughs> maybe, maybe it's just been like warm water. Maybe it wasn't ever boiling. All right, give us one more.
0: Okay. Hi, Julia and Abby. Love the show. A very short but sweet survival story of mine. When I was about seven or eight, I went to my best friend's house for a sleepover. I managed to stay till midnight and then cried till my mum came and got me because I was
1: that kid. Oh, I hated that kid. <laughs> There's always Those one. kids always came to my sleepover. <laughs> and, then, and then everyone would leave. I was like, is it me? Because my pe- my friends' sister were older than me, so they had sleepovers before. So when I finally got to have my sleepover, I was so excited. Mm. I was definitely like the first and youngest to have a sleepover in my class. And then yeah. every single one of my friends went home. I was like, you fucking pussies. <laughs> what were you doing? <laughs> nothing we we're just playing games sleeping eating chocolate all the, all the fun sleepover stuff I imagine that I you I tried were my like... best to keep them I was like another game and another... no <laughs> guys we can have fun we can have fun they all in fun. my
0: head you're like a dance instructor and you're like drilling them over and over again until you've got right. the dance right well you know this
1: I did do on my birthday I made them all audition for a production of Annie and my birthday party. And I got how to be um Miss Hannigan in the first half because it's the best part. And then Annie in the second half because she's not really in it in the first in the second half.
0: Um <laughs> You got to swap roles. Yeah. But then through. also in a
1: Hard Knock Life I did play Molly because she has the nice little solo, the little sad bit.
0: Right. So it was it was basically just like how can abby do a one woman show of of Annie and then yeah. everybody else just well, I just got to do the good bits. This.
1: I just wanted to do the It was my really? birthday. <laughs> sure. Yeah. But they did have to audition as well, because like you know, not
0: yeah. God, change oh, you've changed so much since then.
1: I have not at all. But um, Lauren, I'm seeing her tonight, and she was in that production, and she's still my friend. So I offer something. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> she stayed at the the lifelong sleepover. She stuck around. Oh, that's nice. Hi, Lauren. Yeah. She listens. Hi, really. Lauren. She told me to. She tells me she does. So let's see. Anyway, um, carry on.
0: But before all that happened. So she's gone home. Uh, but before all that happened, we were in my friend's room, and she was sitting on her top bunk, and I was on the bottom bunk. I stood up to grab something from her dresser, and seconds later, the whole top bunk fell on top of the bottom one. Oh <gasps> no! I can't sit on a bottom like bunk. Like Step Brothers. To this day, <laughs> to this day, for fear of being squished. Please. So keep- no one was on it no one's like no because she she had luckily just got up up, and then but otherwise she would have been crushed under the weight of the top bunk that's terrifying that is the that's the fear though isn't it with the top bunk, i imagine you're a top bunk no my fear is um
1: that they wet the bed
0: oh and it trickles down yeah onto the bottom or
1: have sex up there when you get older and it's like um... <laughs> who's
0: sleeping in a double in a in a no, bunk did bed? You
1: not go on like school trips where they were like residentials like the geography trip or whatever right. and then you know y- like young people away from their parents off on a trip everyone's flirting
0: yes yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I feel I also, like happening. I've
1: you know, I've never been in one, but uh, I've heard of hostels, Anna. <laughs> <laughs> heard of them. Uh, uh, my not, next for question. not for me really. But mm. uh you do hear people, yeah, sharing rooms and
0: getting up to all sorts Yeah.
1: I don't want to be under that, don't no,
0: no, thank you.
1: I'm clearly a top.
0: Uh... <laughs> you are I'm clearly a top bunk kind of girl. Yeah.
1: Um
0: Please keep up the I'm
1: claustrophobic, ex- Darren. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Please keep up the excellent podcasting. You guys keep me company on long drives, and it's lovely, Karis. P.S. Oh, that's the that's other crazy. day, I was watching the program Alone on Channel Four. Oh my god, I was going to message you about this. Have you seen Alone? No. Oh my god! So there was oh, an American my version. My housemates were
1: watching it the other day, where someone goes out in the wilderness.
0: Yeah, yeah, and it's whoever yeah, can last I the was longest. Like, people
1: get people. Don't... People need to get a hob. Just join a choir, you know?
0: <laughs> join a choir. That's the that's <laughs> I was
1: like, but then my housemates were like, they win money, and I was like, oh okay.
0: yeah, yeah. And also they're like into it, they're like survivalists, they're all like
1: wannabe bear Grylls. I know, but I just felt really bad for like their families. They were leaving but they were like, I just I just can't wait to just get out there away from my wife <laughs> and children and anyone that I've ever cared. Like, just can't wait to be away from them all. I was like, yeah. Jesus Christ. Just, this is what I mean, just have a once a week hobby, have some space, you don't need to ditch them entirely. <laughs> imagine, imagine if like your husband turned around to you and was just like, yeah, I just like fantasize about going to the woods for like a year and never seeing you or talking to you. No, but
0: would be like, yeah, me too. I fantasize yeah. about that too.
1: <laughs> okay, well, um, you should go on
0: the show. So... I'm more
1: of a, I want to be with you all the time kind of person. <laughs> <laughs> Love me.
0: <laughs> um, okay. So, yeah. So, uh, Alone on Channel 4. It's a survival reality show in Canada. Highly recommend. Anyways, there was talk of a bear on the show. And I said to my husband that if you see a bear, you have to speak to it. And in my finest Julia impression, I did a, hey, bear. He rolled his eyes at me and said he didn't believe me and then also what the fuck, uh, what the fuck? and then in the next segment one of the contestants cracked out their very own hay bear oh nice and my husband was flawed and i've Whoa. never felt so powerful and smug in my life so thanks for that amazing Karis, Amazing. you are absolutely oh, a classic welcome. man
1: has to hear it from another man eh? has right to hear it from someone else i want to hear it from you yeah 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 <laughs> cool. um,
0: i i really feel like we've achieved, you know when people are like you know what if i can like when teachers are what's like what's your legacy if i can touch the life of one child or whatever um i will consider myself
1: don't touch, don't touch children do you <laughs>
0: <laughs> or if I can make an impact on one person. Okay. I feel like we've succeeded with this podcast now. Yeah. We've been able to let one wife have a smug moment with her husband. <sighs> and I'm here for hey, it. Hey, bear. Hey, bear. Shall we bye, bear? Bye, bear.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Hope you survive another week. Um and win more arguments with your husband please please do
0: get attacked by an angry shark Stuck up a mountain in the dark pushed up the top of a big landmark hit by lightning in your local park caught in a downpour a acid rain struck by a meteor or a train a proton beam passing through your brain attacked by that angry shark again hear how they survive. Trampled by a herd of buffalo, chased with an axe by a new friend Joe. Buried alive in a pile of snow. It's the worst case of.